是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Ren. I'm your host Cindy Yang, and this is a new season all about food. Another new thing we have is a co-host and producer, Esther Fang. Please tell us about yourself, Esther. Yeah, hi everyone. My name is Esther Fang. I am so excited to be joining Cindy on the show. And as a Taiwanese American based here in Washington D.C., I've been On the other side of the microphone, listening to the show for a while now, and I wanted to be a part of it. So I had contacted Cindy, and she and I have been collaborating to bring you a new season that is even richer and deeper, that dives into history and brings products to life on the show. We're so excited to show you what we've made. But we also want to improve the show as we go along. So if you have any comments or suggestions, Or just want to say hello? Can email us at hello at taiwanren dot co. Awesome! We can't wait to hear your suggestions. And to kick the season off, we have an interview with Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry. Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry is run by Lisa, the founder, and also Lillian. So you'll hear our interview with Lisa, a really fun soy sauce taste session with Lillian later on in the episode. We hope you enjoy. Hi Lisa, tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan. Yeah, so I run Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry, which is a essentially import business and retail shop online selling like small batch brands or artisanal ingredients from Taiwan. So I work with others. And soy sauce breweries and farms to bring their products over, and then I'm also working in partnership with Lillian Lin, who is the kind of operating arm of this business. So yeah, I started a couple years ago, and then Lillian joined just recently. Are you Taiwanese yourself, or what was the inspiration with starting this Taiwanese pantry? Yeah, I'm half. Taiwanese, which I used to say half Chinese, actually, just like a complicated <laughs> transformation from when I was younger. But my mom was born in Taiwan, and she came to the states in her late twenties and married like an American, like a white guy. And we've just always gone back to Taiwan as a family to enjoy it and connect with my mom's family there, and really like eat as much as we could. Going there feels like going home, even though it's not mm-hmm. my. Home and I got pretty familiar with things like what the street food was like, what you know Taiwanese cuisine is like. But as I started going there more as an adult, like without my mom,、mm-hmm. for example, on my honeymoon to show like my husband around, I just started incorporating, exploring some of my own interests. So design is my background, so I would start to explore、mm-hmm. like cool shops or and I love like was very interested in the slow food and like local agriculture movement here. So started to look for it there. And of course, it exists there. Like it would be, I was naive to not be thinking of that immediately. But through those explorations, kind of got to know some people, and I would always bring their product home and、Aww. give it to friends. And it just got to the point where I was like, well, my background is in retail and product development, so I just want to do this for food in Taiwan.、Mm-hmm. And I felt that it was not. <laughs> I don't know if "right" is the right word, but it was not did not feel fair to me that I could get like all kinds of different olive oils and vinegars and、mm-hmm. wine or whatever from all over, you know, like Northern Europe essentially. But for Chinese Taiwanese food, it was hard to find those same specialty items. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, available for purchase in the states. So I thought, well, I'm just going to start doing this. Everyone's saying you can't sell like a twenty dollar bottle of soy sauce here, and I'm like, well, I'd buy one, so probably I can. <laughs> and yeah, it's not twenty dollars there because there's like a lot of cost of import. But I just mean to say that people who want these items will value them, you know. And giving access is an important part of kind of democratizing that experience and destigmatizing the food as well. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that working with local producers in Taiwan, how do you find them or decide which ones to partner with? Yeah, so there's a couple ways to answer that question. So I think like one is definitely a word of mouth network. So mm-hmm. those groups of people who are who have chosen this route of like artisanal production mm-hmm. are pretty like yeah, it's sort of a self-selecting group because not a lot of people go into that. <laughs> so they do it because they love it. And then they meet other people who are the same way. So like the soy sauce, for example, we haven't brought anything in from the miso producer, but like led me to like a miso producer that we're hoping to work with. And that we ha- brought this neonia sauce in and she connected me with a few people. So there's that, but then also like you're still kind of cold calling them. So it's like, oh, I heard about you. You know, will you even sell? And a lot of people don't even want to sell. You know, I've had this jam oh. that I really want to work with. And she's just like, I don't think I can do it this year, maybe next year. And I'm like, oh, please sell to me. She's like, well, you know, I just have to look after my health. And I'm right. like, of course you do. Again, these are like very, very individual based businesses. So yeah. it's like requires a proprietor to be able to take on extra work. So we have to be patient a lot of times and we do have a capacity limit. So it's quite an interesting sourcing dilemma. Lillian's doing a lot of the sourcing now, but she just is researching people and we have like a list of criteria. I'm definitely not against food additives, by the way, but for the products we're sourcing, we try to say like, okay, what has very few ingredients and what has a good provenance behind it? And we sort of have a criteria and then we contact those vendors and see if they're even able to sell. So based on that story, what do you think is Unhai's true mission? True mission. Yeah. I mean, I think it's almost like very simple in a way. It's just like bringing the best Taiwanese brands and food production under one roof so that the U.S. market can access it. That's the mission. And like, it's not anything unheard of. I'm trying to think of other stores that do it. Like Dita Luca is not a great example. Like Italy kind of, it's a little bit too used, but mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. people like, oh, like Gustiamo. It's like an Italian fancy foods distributor. So yeah, we just want to bring all of that kind of under one roof so people can get it. Mm-hmm. I think the side parts of that are really about thinking about home cooks. I'm super, super dedicated and interested in the home cook because that's what I am. I'm not professionally trained. I don't have a restaurant and I love going to restaurants, but I, and there's like this amazing, you know, there's so many amazing things happening in the restaurant world right now that have been covered by like Eater, Bon App, et cetera. But if you're not living in those cities and currently right now, it's really hard to travel. To be able to access that level of food is pretty difficult unless you cook it. So I'm really interested in how do we get more people cooking this food? You can also understand its history and understand the ingredients. And it's just in a, a really amazing, yeah, like dialogue, like across space and time. And that's a primary interest. I'm really interested in writing and just like conveying kind of my experience of what the culture is and creating yeah. a little bit of a community to hear stories and perceptions from other people too. So, Just pivoting on to the, the Kickstarter you guys launched as if you're not you know, already very busy. Was there an impetus behind this dry fruit Kickstarter, especially because it's a little different than what you've been doing with the bottled products? Yeah. Um, making our own dried fruits. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's a couple things behind that. So one is that I've been wanting to expand the assortment for a while and I've done some polls on what people wanted and like dried fruit was like kind of top of the list and top of the ask. And I also love fruit from Taiwan and wanted that too. So it's been on my list. And then I think when the pineapple ban happened, Mm-hmm. I was like, reading all the news and just immediately was like, oh, well, I cannot buy a Taiwanese pineapple in the market in the States. I mean, maybe somewhere you can, but generally most pineapples are not imported. I don't think there's any. I don't know. So even if I wanted to like contribute to this cause, I couldn't really do. But I thought, oh, but we could definitely import preserved or dried pineapple. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of thought like, well, how do we get this up and running quickly? Because we kind of need capital to like be able to order it. Because we've always just been like, a, you know, I put my own cash in. We just have been kind of like a cash positive business. So in order to do a new project, we really do need to find a way to pay for it. Um, mm-hmm. So then I, that's when Lily and I started working together. And I was like, what if we just did like a Kickstarter and basically just took some pre-orders, not thinking it would be anything, but it's just like an engine to get the funds ahead of time. Because on yeah. Shopify, you can do that as well. And then it just kind of turned into like a bigger thing where we're like, well, let's also, you know, the mango, all the fruit industries are actually vulnerable to trade isolation. So Um, let's think about more people that we can work with. And also we wanted, I want to develop my own brand, not to silence other brands in Taiwan. Because we actually love to represent contemporary brands in Taiwan, but farmers don't necessarily have market ready brands because that's not their wheelhouse. So if we have one brand to unite, sourcing from all the different farmers in the region or something, we can represent their product and stimulate sales for them. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having our own brand is like, oh, we selected these and we're working with producers and we're transparent about who they are and our brand collects them under one roof. So yeah. And then I thought we would make like 20K or something. And I was like, that'll be enough to do a significant order. Or like, I think our goal was 12K and then it like blasted through in the first five hours or something. It was amazing. I actually lost power that day and I'm upstate New York, so I didn't even have cell phone service. And so we launched it and then my whole power went out and I was like, this is so messed up. (laughs) Promoting it and on Twitter and like emailing people. And then my husband was out of town and he finally reached me on the landline. He's like, I bet you want to know how your Kickstarter is doing. (laughs) And I was like, I do. And he's like, it's at 60K right now. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. I was like, day one, it's like not even night oh, yet. So it was an so amazing where, response. Where did you end up? We ended up at $113,000 in the end. Yay, that's awesome. Really and cool. then it yeah. proves again, yeah, how much people want to support this. And they really do want their dried fruit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's just like our, we, were, we didn't have any kind of, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with this, but we just didn't have the time or resources to create high production value stuff. Mm-hmm. A really great video. It's just like our cell phones being like, hello, please help us. This is what we're doing. But yeah, that like genuineness, people just want to know what's going on. And yeah, so we just got the packaged product. I don't mm-hmm. know if the packaged product is done, but the packaging is like completely done. Mm-hmm. And I think the farmers are packing it now and it should ship soon. So we're, yeah, like knock on wood, everything's going really well. Yeah. So. Okay. So for the audience, what dried fruits are you selling and when will they be available? Yeah. So we have pineapple and mango and guava. And then we added wax apple, which was hugely popular. And by the way, uncommon and very delicious. And then we are also the extra capital that we raised because it was so successful also allowed us to source plum powder. So we're going to be bringing in, I know, a jar of of, uh, sour plum powder as well. And that should be available mid-September. 
So we'll ship it to all the backers first and then we'll put it in the store. Wow. But yeah, the best way to get notified is the newsletter. So we <laughs> had <laughs> Taiwan stories. Yeah. But we'll send it out, you know, at that time. And then I hope that, you know, if we can continue to sell it at retail and it does well, we'll definitely add like dragon fruit and star fruit and preserved lime. Like, there's just so many fruits that we can bring in. The yeah. first ones we did, we really wanted to focus on things that didn't need added sugar or anything like mm-hmm. that. So that's why we started with those fruits. Guava has a little sugar, but some of the fruits in Taiwan are not very sweet. Like dragon fruit is not sweet, not very sweet. So you do need to like add sugar to properly preserve it if it's going to be a natural product. So those will come a little later. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. Okay, I can't wait. So maybe just part of the reflection of that experience where you exceeded your goal, Kickstarter goal day one. What has been along the way of this journey, the biggest surprise to you so far? The biggest surprise is that, I mean, I feel like I'm really surprised that we've, we just have such a good product market fit. I don't know like how else to say it, but I feel like in my past selling things, I've been like, okay, we have to kind of, this thing didn't work. We have to adjust this. The pricing wasn't quite right. And Somehow we've been very lucky to be uh, launching products that people want. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that is because we're really working from our gut and not mm-hmm. from like data necessarily. And that gut is like, oh, what do we want? Mm-hmm. And like, I guess surprisingly, it's been working. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. And I feel well equipped to manage it. But yeah, it, was, it happened quickly, even with not that many products. Maybe just ending on a personal note for you then. How has this transformed your relationship with Taiwan or your perspective on Taiwan? Yeah, it's a very interesting transformation. I felt like I was good at cooking before, but I actually feel like I'm a much better cook now, for one, because I'm always trying to use these ingredients that are not necessarily like that I understand already. For example, like using soy paste more frequently. Mm-hmm. I think it's made me like much more aware of current issues in Taiwan and it's made me develop a more sophisticated understanding of how I talk about Taiwan, not just the food, but like the soft power geopolitical, like everything that's like so, yeah, it's like quite difficult to talk about in a way, especially publicly. I think I've evolved my own understanding of myself too. I think I mentioned before, I would say that as a younger person, I would be like, oh, I'm Chinese. It's Chinese food. Mm-hmm. And now kind of like have a different thought about what my identity is because I've been more invested in like thinking about in what ways is my family Taiwanese. And I think maybe a lot of people are going through that, but like my mom was, you know, my mom's mom, my grandmother was from China. My mom was born mm-hmm. in Taiwan. So I think for a good portion of her life, she didn't really know how to identify, but now there's this kind of very distinct Taiwanese identity, even for people mm-hmm. who were kind of first generation like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's like a complicated topic, but that's something I've been thinking a lot about is how has Taiwanese food, how is it different from Chinese food? It's very different. And how do we talk about that in a meaningful way without writing off the aspects of it that are culinary, like Chinese in a, from a culinary perspective. So kind of complicated, but yeah, I feel like it's maybe more sophisticated. But sometimes I also get like a little bit stressed about thinking about Taiwan too much, honestly. Worried about the future and worried about how I'm representing it and thinking about how I'm representing the food. Am I doing a good enough job? And like, did I do enough research? And whereas before I would just be like, oh yeah, I like love eating. (laughs) 
and I want to eat this food. And now I'm like, wait, what are the implications? Like we haven't done anything about the Aboriginal population in Taiwan. That's like on my list, but it's not something that's as easy Uh for me to access, but it's really important. And now people are watching us and looking to us and we have a bigger responsibility to be really cognizant of what we're doing. And so, yeah, that creates, it's positive stress, but it can be really stressful sometimes. I completely feel you on that. Just, you know, in the beginning, I thought, I'll just talk to Taiwanese people on this podcast. (laughs) But, you know, as I gained listeners and, you know, getting feedback on, well, can we hear more from the Aboriginal community, for instance, or the visible minorities? And so definitely, I would just say we're all trying our best and just kind of keep learning as you go and be always open to feedback. Yeah, yeah. And I think like even language too, like I'm like, okay, at first when I started, I was like, we got to use you know, naming my business, it was like, can it be like phonetically Chinese words or will people like not remember it? That was a question mm-hmm. very early on. I'm like, no, no, we got to like use Mandarin. But now I'm like, oh, I actually need to learn Taiwanese better and use that more too. Yeah. And like, it's hard because everyone has a slightly different, you know, Taiwan is just like such an amazing and diverse place with like a very, very, yeah, complicated history. And I've been new about it, but I've been learning more and internalizing more about it. And I think it's a really positive, has a really positive impact on me. And I think my family too, because they're hearing all this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And as like an American born half Taiwanese mixed heritage person, it's not something that I had immediate access to without really digging right. in and doing this project. So yeah, I hope to share that with others as well. Hi, Esther. Hi, Cindy. That conversation with Lisa was so cool. I know. I just love how Lisa works with these smaller, more artists and producers from Taiwan and bring them to the U.S. so people abroad can really have access to them. Yeah, that's really cool how she works with her business. And I believe we have Lillian Lin, the other powerhouse behind Yunghai and She's in charge of operations, which includes sourcing and working with producers right in Taiwan. Hi, Lillian. Hi, girls. Hi. Okay, so we love learning about Yunhai so far. I'm so excited to have you with us. Maybe you can share a little bit about the history of the soy sauce producers and how you discover them or how the process works. Yeah, so a little bit about the soy sauce makers. So the company is called Yu Dingxing, and they're basically a third generation soy sauce maker in central Taiwan. And it's actually a region in Taiwan that's known to be producing soy sauces. Actually, there are tens, maybe hundreds of breweries in that area that produce soy sauce. And many of them produce it in this traditional method, like Yu Dingxing does. And we were introduced to them from our counterpart in Taiwan. Fong, who helps us with a lot of things on the ground as well, like consolidating the shipments and checking out all the products. And so she introduced us to them. And I think what's unique about them is not only they make the soy sauce in a traditional way, which we can talk about later, but they also really are trying to revamp soy sauce as a category in Taiwan. They really think about the terroir of the soy sauce, the different flavors of each one, and almost turn it into kind of like If you think about balsamic vinegar in Italy, you can go to Modena Mm -hmm. and visit all the balsamic vinegar makers. They talk about the barrels that they use, the kind of grapes that they use, and they kind of, soy sauce is made in that same way, but no one really talks about it. And so they really try to share that with everyone. And even a lot of people in Taiwan don't know about that. So they really try to share and redefine that category for everyone. 
It's a lot of thought for sure. Can you actually go more into what you said is a traditional process? Well, I think you guys actually produced a documentary about right, Lillian? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We have a short sort of 13 minute video that goes through the whole process of how they make it. Yeah, so what makes Taiwanese traditional soy sauce a little bit different is first that the traditional method actually uses black soybeans instead of yellow soybeans. And black soybeans have more glutamate than yellow soybeans. So the flavor is a bit deeper and richer. And then also in Japanese soy sauces and commonly in China, they add wheat as part of the production process. But Taiwanese soy sauce actually don't use wheat which makes them gluten-free. And so a lot more people can enjoy that soy sauce. The general production process is that there are the soybeans and then they are inoculated with koji and then they sit in a vat, the soybeans with salt, some water, and they put it under the vat and to age it under the sun for at least six months. Some of them age it for even longer. And after it sits under the sun, it ferments and develops this beautiful flavor and what happens, and you can see this in the video too, is that after the fermentation process, they then take out the beans and take out the soy sauce that's come out of that and then reduce it over a wood fire and then turn it into the actual soy sauce that we, we taste. And, you know, throughout the process, they might add in sugar or other things to season the different types of soy sauce that we see on the shelves, but that's kind of the general process. It's a lot of labor involved and love and time. Yes, and it's all done by hand. So make sure that they really see and feel every vat that gets produced. And that's what ensures the good quality behind the soy sauce too. Cindy, shall we try some soy sauce now? Let's do it. We're going to taste the the Kiko Mans and the Xing, the aged Taiwanese soy sauce. And we'll let you know what happens. Live action tasting. And here to act as our soy sauce sommelier and guide us through what we should be tasting. (laughs) Sounds good. So Esther, you're going to be the first one. And the one you're trying is our vat bottom soy sauce. This one is special in that, you know, earlier I talked about the terracotta vats that the soy sauce are made in. So these actually come from the bottom of the vat, which means all the essence has sort of settled on the bottom. So it has the most flavor, the most salinity, and Basically, the best part of the soy sauce is at the bottom. In Taiwan, they also call it hu di yo. So it's the bottom of the hu. Okay, I have heard of that in Chinese. Really? Yeah, and is that better for cooking? Yeah, so because it's richer and higher in salinity, it's generally better for like braising or stews, or maybe you're trying to make some kind of stewed pork dish. It also colors mm-hmm. it nicely too, because it's just it's so much more packed in flavor. Okay, should I, do I shake? It's, it should be... Fully mixed already, but feel okay. free to shake it up. <laughs> All right. And so I'd say compare, you'll probably maybe try a the regular soy sauce that you have on yeah. hand and then compare it to the vat bottom. And maybe Esther, you can tell us about what's the other soy sauce you're trying. Yeah. So I have like a just staple soy sauce. It's by a brand from Japan called Yamasa. So it looks like any regular soy sauce. And for our listeners at home, I'm using rice to eat it. <laughs> I did not prepare anything ahead of time. True Asian diet. I, I love it. <laughs> All right. In my experience, the Japanese soy sauce tend to have a cleaner flavor. And, and actually, I'd also recommend, you know, trying both directly and on rice because it really brings out different flavors. The Japanese one is very clean and neat and the flavor is very precise. 
And then when you try the vat bottom or Taiwanese one, it's very much, there's lots of different tasting notes happening. Okay. Yeah. And I definitely recommend just trying it on the spoon too. I'm doing the vat bottom one to test it out. Trying to do an ASMR sound. Oh, whoa. It's really, it's intense. Is there a- <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's really Strong reaction. Tell us about like, good. It's the like, wow. Well, one, it's it's a, it's a lot saltier than the Japanese one. Mm-hmm. And I guess like what you were talking about, Lillian, because it's like the hoji, like it's really just the most intense part. That's probably why. There's like a slight, it's like both bitter and sweet at the same time. Bitter. Yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to be tasting that. I promise I don't have COVID, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the, the flavor is just much more rich and mm-hmm. varied, you know. It's like a uh, caramel note to it too. Caramel? Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm in a wine tasting class for real. <laughs> yeah, and if now you go back to try the Japanese soy sauce mm-hmm. just as is, I think you might experience what I mean by sort of a clean flavor. It might not have all the sweetness, the bitterness, all these different things. It has more like a water consistency, you know? It doesn't feel as like, this one feels a little more thick, even though mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like oyster sauce or anything, but it just has a little more viscous vibe to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to describe this. I don't really know. I've never had it <laughs> But maybe the $20 is good value then because you need to use way less of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually a true statement too, because the flavor is so concentrated. You don't need as much. And in, in a lot of sort of commercial soy sauce and I encourage you know every time you go buy a soy sauce you turn around and read the ingredients Mm -hmm. if it's just soybean water sugar salt that's generally a true sort of fermented and soy sauce but sometimes some soy sauces will also have some additives they might have sweetening agents which actually gives is what gives the soy sauce kind of a sweet-ish flavor it makes it not like just purely salty. And a lot of that flavor actually comes from an additive but everyone can try their soy sauce at home and see how it tastes. But either way, Kiko Man also makes soy sauces that have no additives too. Esther, I was going to ask, besides, I guess, intensity, mm-hmm. is there any taste differences? Even just smelling it, you can tell it's different. Mm. Like the Udin Shin one is like, it, it just smells like, you know, when you boil daikon or something, like bio, mm. it has kind of that smell. Earthier? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word for it. I like it. I think it's definitely different. I wish I had more of the vocab to describe Mm -hmm. it. I wouldn't say it's like musky to taste, but it has like a certain scent when you smell it. That smells like more layered and more complex than just the Japanese soy sauce I was eating. Not to say one's Mm -hmm. better over the other, but it's definitely unique. Mm -hmm. I like it. I'll use it in my cooking. Awesome. Yay. Lillian, just a random question slash idea maybe you guys should have soy sauce smelling samples at the store (laughs) yeah yeah definitely at the store we can sample the soy sauce at the store and we can sample different ones alongside each other and it's our goal to also host some soy sauce tasting classes kind of like a wine tasting class so you can try different ones fun i'm gonna finish off this rice okay (laughs) (laughs) finish off the rice i'm gonna get started on a on, started on my soy sauces. So I have your classic Kiko Man. Very, very accessible to your average North American. I have the Yuding Xing, the pineapple black bean soy sauce. And Lillian, I followed your advice. So 
looking at the instructions now, way after I bought it, Kiko Man. I'm like, wow, this is a really basic soy sauce. It has only water, soybeans, wheat, and salt. Nice, fantastic. Um, Lillian, what's something that like people besides the additive, like something that if you see in your soy sauce, you should avoid? Mm. <laughs> yeah, let me think. I'm not sure if I can definitively say if there's any chemicals and things like that, but there are definitely sauces that are soy sauce flavored, but not actually soy sauce. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way there's orange juice versus orange, quote unquote, drink, which is like orange juice flavored beverage. So you should definitely have soybeans to make sure that it's truly fermented versus like, say, water plus other flavors on top of it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Something- the Japanese one I have says alcohol to preserve freshness. Ooh. No preservatives added. Great. Fantastic. And I would say that most soy sauces, if there's no preservatives added, you should make sure to store it in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I'll start to- <laughs> it's okay. You're still alive, so things are going okay. Okay, so the pineapple black bean soy sauce ingredients, this is kind of fun. They have water, black soybean, sour pineapple, licorice, sea salt, sea salt, of course, it's artisan after all, and sugar. (laughs) Yeah. So licorice, not the same thing you're thinking about like licorice candy per se, but actually the licorice root itself. And it's a common flavoring in Taiwanese food. And it actually adds like a very nice depth to lots of different things from candy to spices. It tastes nothing like black or red licorice. But is it cinnamony taste? It almost has like a, it coats the back of your throat kind of flavoring. Have you ever sometimes drink some tea and after you drink the tea, there's a sweetness in your throat yep. from just the naturalness? Yeah. yeah. I think licorice provides that kind of, mm-hmm. adds that kind of experience to the dish. Yeah. And so the pineapple one is quite fun. So what they do is when they put everything in the vat, they actually also slice up big chunks of pineapple and throw it in the vat along with the actual uh, soybeans. So it's actually fermented with the pineapple Mm -hmm. and it's not going to taste like pineapple. Like it's not like you're drinking pineapple juice or something. Instead, what the pineapple does is the sugars in the pineapple become part of the soy sauce and also having the pineapple there imparts like a lighter and brighter flavor for the soy sauce, which makes it, you know, better for things like seafood, sashimi and lighter dishes. For our listeners, Cindy is really smelling (laughs) the bottle. (laughs) <laughs> okay smelling is her, a but... huge part of my tasting experience <laughs> yeah the kiko <laughs> i don't know i don't know if it's because you know i just know it's cheaper it smells cheaper <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, like, but there's nothing wrong with kiko man too it's also yeah, a great okay, sauce you know, for every day sponsor this podcast that's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it's just more like a stringent sting to my the smell this one i can smell hmm. the other one the pineapple one I can smell for longer it's definitely like probably more mellow yeah. and rounded kind of soy sauce. Yeah. And Japanese soy sauce tend to just be very like precise, like a surgeon's knife. I keep smelling like I think there's meat in there, but there isn't, obviously. Mm. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do this with dumplings. And Lillian, did you say I should do the Kikoman first? Yeah. And I would recommend you trying it straight first without oh. any dumplings. And then we can try it again with uh-huh. the dumplings. And just do a little spoonful. Oh. Cindy's face is like <laughs> oh yeah it's like not sauce. common I feel like for people to just drink soy sauce straight <laughs> this is like I feel terrible I don't taste difference 
<laughs> Wait, do you try both and you don't taste the difference? <laughs> oh my god! Okay, no, the pineapple one's sweeter. Yeah, yeah, it should be a yeah. little sweeter. You can taste it kind of like the same way you want to taste wine. You know, leave your mouth slightly open and kind of breathe oh. it in. You can get a bit. Is of that aroma. how you drink wine? <laughs> to taste wine. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so sorry. I think we should get you a pineapple because it's not that salty at all. And I can like drink this. Really, I don't recommend any kids drinking this at home. <laughs> it smells really good. Okay, yeah. So it's not like that. You know the citrus shoyu or the one that they do have with sashimi. Oh, like ponzu. The ponzu, yeah. So it's not quite a ponzu, mm-hmm. but it definitely tastes like a ponzu. So I definitely see this as something that's great for fish or as a dipping sauce. I agree. Because it's not that salty at all. Even if you know how, like, sometimes you accidentally drop your sushi <laughs> into the soy sauce tray and you're like, oh, I'm screwed. Yes. I ruined it. But you can actually consume a little bit more of this and not feel like it's too salty for some reason. And the sweetness makes it, it balances it out. Yeah, exactly. You can keep going back and back again. And this soy sauce is actually inspired by a Taiwanese a side dish called ing feng li. It's like a pickled pineapple dish. Yeah, don't judge by first taste. <laughs> I think in the beginning, my tongue was like, "What? Well, it's soy sauce. Like, you know, it's this is soy sauce, that is soy sauce. But then I kept like kind of trying them back and forth. And then this one was getting kind of saltier every time. And then the other one was sort of changing the way it tasted. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's kind of like, you know, sound like wine. Every sip, you get the different tasting notes every time. And that's what makes the tiny soy sauce kind of more fun. The different bouquets and flavors that come with it. So Lillian, thank you so much for accompanying us on our very short soy sauce tasting journey. Do you mind sharing more about the Yunhai store now that one has opened in New York and how other people, other listeners here can also partake in this Soy sauce sampling with you in person. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we just opened our first brick and mortar store in Brooklyn, New York. It's between Williamsburg and Bushwick next to a Taiwanese American restaurant called Win Sun, if you guys are familiar, who, by the way, are coming out with an awesome Taiwanese American cookbook later this year. There's going to be everything we have on our website, plus more little things we buy from Taiwan that we think are fun. For example, there's a Taiwanese salt from Fudai or dehydrated gali cai, which I love as a ramen hack. And then there are also frozen goods from, for example, Win Sun. You know, they have frozen scallion pancakes, but also things like frozen beef noodle soup from an amazing restaurant in Cupertino called Mama Liang's or Liang's Village. They've been an institution in the Bay Area for Taiwanese food. And so we're carrying some of that. And it also includes some ceramic products from Taiwanese artists that's been curated for us by a ceramic store in Williamsburg that's run by two Taiwanese sisters called Mogu Table. And so we try to collaborate with a bunch of Taiwanese producers, artisans, and Taiwanese Americans, and even just the AAPI community too. We also carry some products that are not necessarily Taiwanese, but are made by our friends in the Asian American community. So we can showcase that as well. We'll have to check it out. I'm just thinking about how delicious all your company or partnership meetings must be. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of samples. (laughs) That was our episode with Yunhai Taiwanese Pantry. So if you're in Brooklyn, don't forget to stop by their store or 
you can order from their website anytime you like at yunhai.shop. And for our listeners who are curious or want to buy what we had to taste with Lillian, Cindy was trying out their pineapple soy sauce and I was trying out their vat bottom soy sauce. Both can be found on the website or in stores. All right, see you next time. Taiwan, 加油! <laughs>